Welcome to class. I'm glad you've joined us again for this Daniel Bible seminar. It's interesting how we speed along so quickly through the book, isn't it? We started with Daniel 1 and we're on Daniel 4. We've been going a month already. Remember in Daniel 1, the great theme is that God that turns defeat into victory. Daniel's taken captive, led from the simplicity of his Judean home to the lavish kingdom of Babylon. Daniel stands firm for the true God. He purposes in his heart to serve God, and he comes out ten times better in wisdom and knowledge than all the magicians, the astrologers, the wise men of Babylon. He graduates with honors from the University of Babylon, becomes a mighty influence there. He was once a slave, but he becomes a uh, assistant to the king, really. Chapter 2, 3, and 4, Daniel, are really a unit. In Daniel chapter 2, God is revealed as the true prophet, the one who knows the future. If he can guide the future of the empires, he can guide the future of our lives. In Daniel chapter 3, he's the redeemer. He leaps right into the flames of life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace. And there, God, Christ, goes in with them to protect them. And in chapter 4, which we're going to study tonight, Daniel reveals, he, Daniel actually pauses, and Nebuchadnezzar writes that chapter, and he's, God reveals himself as the king. So in chapter 2, he's prophet. Chapter 3, he's priest. Chapter 4, he's king. Chapter 2, he's the revealer of the future. Chapter 3, he's the redeemer of his people. Chapter 4, he's the ruler of mankind. And so these chapters really link together. So again, thank you for joining us. We're in for a really an inspirational, incredible evening together as we study Daniel chapter 4. But before we get started, there were some questions that came in. Um, somebody asked, somebody said, you know, I'm Bettina, I think it was. She said, I'm studying the Bible with friends and I need help in answering some questions. Can you have your staff provide us help? Certainly, Bettina. Um, if you just... Uh, log in to our website and uh, actually no go to our email it's even better email us info at hopelives365.com info at hopelives365.com if you have questions that's where to send them you can send them about the uh, chapter that we're studying that evening or you can send them about general questions we'll really try to help you uh, somebody else says i'd like the notes or the lessons for these study guides. Where do I get them? You'd simply go to hopelives365.com forward slash weekly Bible study. That's hopelives365.com weekly Bible study. Now here's an interesting question that comes out of Africa. It says, if God revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, and Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with the interpretation of the dream. And remember the dream in chapter 2 is that great image with the head of gold, breast and arms of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, and that rock cut out without hands. We studied that that represented four great nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome that would dominate the world. Then the Roman Empire would break up. But in the days of these kings, when all the conflict is taking place in Europe and the Middle East, the God of heaven would establish a kingdom. Jesus would establish his eternal everlasting kingdom as he would come again in a cataclysmic arrival. 
the Bible says that lightning would flash from the east to the west. There would be thunder that would be crashing and just all the elements would be out of sorts and Christ would come in glory and in spectacular wonder. And uh, so we find that in, in Daniel chapter two. And if, if Daniel interpreted that dream to Nebuchadnezzar, why is it that Nebuchadnezzar never opened his heart? Why is it that at that point, uh, does Nebuchadnezzar build the uh, image in Daniel 3? Now we'll find in Daniel 4, he does open his heart to God. But why does he build that image in Daniel 3? Uh, is there any biblical explanation? I do think there is. It has to do with the nature of humanity. If you look, for example, at Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So human beings have a fallen human nature. And at times we perceive things simply, if in the unconverted heart does, perceives things from the self-centered perspective. You remember in heaven, when Lucifer rebels against God, it's Lucifer says, I will ascend to heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I, 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 Lucifer had eye problem. The center of pride is I, P-R, center, I-D-E, pride. And so the human, selfish human heart perceives things only in context with what will advance the self. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And then you look here, for example, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Second Corinthians chapter 4, we're looking at verse 4. It says, let's look at verse 3 as, as well. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine in them. So why is it at times that people just don't see truth? Why is it they don't see reality? Why is it that they're locked in error? Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says to those who walk in darkness, John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is the light of the world. He illuminates the darkness. So therefore, when you and I long to know truth, we pray, Jesus, I come with an honest heart. Enlighten my eyes. We don't want the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome to blind us. Well, with that introduction, we're going to go to how God reached Nebuchadnezzar tonight in Daniel chapter 4. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you with all of our hearts for the opportunity to know Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of living for him. Open our eyes. Help us not be blinded by the evil one. Grant to us your wisdom as we study in Christ's name. Amen. We open our Bibles. If you have your Bibles, take your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 4. If you have a notebook, get out your notebook. You got a pencil or a pen, get out your pencil and pen because you're going to be excited as we study tonight. Now, of all the chapters in the book of Daniel, the only one not 
written by Daniel is chapter 4. Who do you think wrote chapter 4? Well, let's look at Daniel 4, verse 1. Daniel, the fourth chapter, and the first verse. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Now look, who writes this? Nebuchadnezzar the king. The king of Babylon's writing. A chapter in the Bible? It is. The only chapter in the Bible written by a heathen king. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it's like Nebuchadnezzar saying, Daniel, I got to tell my story. Daniel, I got to tell what happened to me. Daniel, I got to tell how I was converted to the living Christ. And then he says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth. I don't want anybody to be left out. All peoples, nations, languages. I got to tell you my story. And then peace be multiplied to you. Here, Nebuchadnezzar, the man of war. Nebuchadnezzar, the one who attacked Jerusalem, burned much of the city, killed many people. Nebuchadnezzar says, peace. In other words, something has happened in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Something has happened in his mind. And if God can reach Nebuchadnezzar, God can reach you, my friend. Wherever you are in the stream of life, wherever you are in your Christian journey or not journey at all, God can reach you. He reached a heathen king. God can reach that husband of yours, ma'am, who doesn't know Christ. God can reach that wife of yours that has no interest. God can reach that son or that daughter, that neighbor, that working associate. God reached Nebuchadnezzar, but how did he do it? We're going to study that tonight. So Nebuchadnezzar says, verse 2, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Nebuchadnezzar says, God's worked signs for me. God's worked wonders for me. God's worked miracles for me. Let me show you. How greater his signs, how mightier his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion from generation to generation. I mean, this is really marvelous. Marvelous. Nebuchadnezzar is praising God for his goodness and greatness. He's acknowledging that God is king of kings and lord of lords. So he tells his story. He says, now I'm going to tell you. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, flourishing in my palace, now I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they may have known me the interpretation of the dream. The magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me the interpretation. Now, wait a minute. Nebuchadnezzar, didn't you learn your lesson? You brought in those astrologers before that tell, supposedly tell the mystery of the stars and try to relate your dream. You brought in those magicians who, who cut calves' livers and try to read the patterns and drop oil on water and try to read the patterns and tell your future. You did that in Daniel chapter 2 and they failed you. <laughs> Why are you bringing those people again in? And again, this time he tells them the dream and they can't tell him what it means. You remember in Daniel chapter 2, he didn't remember his dream, and he asked them to tell him the dream about the great image. They couldn't do that, and they didn't know the interpretation. He makes it easier for them this time. He tells them the dream, but they still can't tell the interpretation. See, what God is doing here is showing the folly of all human wisdom. He's showing the folly of those who try to stand in his place but fail to do it. And then it says in verse 4, Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, but at the last Daniel came before me. Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel at the last. Sometimes we face problems and difficulties and challenges. 
and we we wait till the end before we call on God. God is there. He says, come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. He says in Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, verses 12 to 15, God says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you can find grace and help to the time of need. So God is saying, come. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, God says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We don't have to wait till at the last. We can call upon God and find him, our friend. Find him the one that helps us to solve problems and answer difficult questions and solve the mysteries of our life. But at the last, verse 8, Daniel 4, verse 8, but at the last Daniel came before me, his name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and him is the spirit of the holy God. Then I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. Now, he, he calls him by his Babylonian name, but this is Daniel, the servant of the true God. What does he say, chief of the magi magicians? Daniel was not a magician, but what Daniel was was one of the wise men of Babylon. And he says, I know the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen in its interpretation. When you are a godly man or a godly woman, even godless secular people see in you some quality that touches their heart and changes their life. Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, the spirit of the holy gods was in you. Daniel revealed in his life the qualities of the kingdom of God. And Nebuchadnezzar saw that in them. At your work, when others are telling lewd jokes and you don't join in, when they're cursing and swearing and you don't join in, when they go to the parties and alcohol is flowing and you don't join in, but you calmly, quietly witness of honesty, integrity, and ethical morality they will see God in you, and you can be a powerful witness in your place. If Daniel could work to could witness for God in Babel, and you can witness for God where you are, my friend. So he tells Daniel the dream. He said, look, I was looking, and behold, I saw this tree. Verses 11 and onward. He says, the tree grew high, and its branches spread out over all the earth. And the beast came and got the shade under the tree. The birds hid in the tree, and this tree was mighty. But then there was a decree, a holy one and a watcher, angelic being from heaven, Daniel, came. And he said, chop down the tree, and an axe came and chopped down the tree. There was only left a stump with a band of iron and brass. Daniel, I'm perplexed. Daniel, I'm troubled. Daniel, what does this dream mean? Daniel looks at the king and he says, this is the decision by the decree of the watchers, the sentence by the word of the holy ones. That's actually at the end of the dream. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And God gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. The whole purpose of the dream was to reveal that God is in charge of the destiny of the nations. 
It may appear that wicked rulers are in charge. It may appear that despotic leaders are in charge. It may appear that authoritarian, autocratic leaders are ruling the world. But ultimately, God is in charge and God is going to manifest his hand and there will be judgment that falls. Notice what it says. Daniel says, verse 18, this dream I, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, Daniel, tell me, what, what is the dream all about? Because you have the spirit of the Holy God. Verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Now, this is interesting. Daniel knew that the dream pronounced judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that. He could have said, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, you took me captive. I want to tell you something here. God's going to give you one. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. You're going to lose your kingdom. But Daniel had so identified with his enemy that he even loved his enemy and was troubled by what was going to happen to his enemy. It's really remarkable. Jesus says, if they ask you to go one mile, go two. Go the second mile. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good, Romans. Do good in the book of Romans. Do love your enemies. Do good to those that curse you and despitefully use you. If you want to win those who are staunchly against you, reach out to them in loving kindness. Daniel was troubled because his enemy was going to be troubled. He showed Christian graces. And then he says, My Lord, may the dream concern those that hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. Verse 20, Daniel 4. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by whole, whole earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was fruit for all under the beasts of the field, dwelt, whose branches the birds of heaven and their habitation have dwelt under. It's you, O king, you've grown and become strong. Your greatness has, shown, has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. King Nebuchadnezzar, this tree is you. It's a dream of your kingdom. It's a dream of how you've led this kingdom. It's a dream how your kingdom goes to the end of the earth. This is about you, Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine? Nebuchadnezzar must have trembled because he knew in his dream that the Holy One and the Watcher came and, and chopped down the tree. Nebuchadnezzar must have been shaking there when Daniel is explaining the dream. Verse 21, inasmuch as the king saw a Watcher and Holy One coming down from heaven, saying, chop down the tree, destroy it, leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with dew of heaven. Let him graze with beasts until seven years, or seven times years pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon the Lord King. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling will be the beasts of the field. You'll eat grass like oxen. They'll wet you with the dew of heaven till seven years pass over you in the kingdom of men. And the most high rulers in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. And as much as they gave a command, leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you 
after you come to know that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to rule. You're going to wander around like a beast. Your hair will grow long. Your nails will grow long. You'll grunt and groan like a beast. There is a medical condition. You'll find it in Dorland's medical dictionary called lycanthropic insanity. It's lycanthropic insanity. It comes upon a person very quickly. The person perceives that they are an animal, usually something of the cat family. They crawl on all fours. There is a total neglect of personal hygiene. There is a temporary insanity. The person will smell. They'll, because of body perspiration, they'll be out crawling around and they act more like an animal. Let's suppose that you and I are one day passing by the palace. And we look out there in a field and we see a man. Is it a man or an animal? Long-bearded, long-haired, crawling, grunting, groaning, smelling, stinking, no royal robes. And we say to somebody, who knows one of the guards of the palace? Who, who's that man out there? Is that a man? Is that an animal? I'm sorry to say, that's King Nebuchadnezzar. No, it can't be. The brilliant king, the, the, the wealthy king, the aristocratic king, the king who had everything. He, he's out there. He's out there. How long has he been out there? Well, a year or two. Nebuchadnezzar ultimately is out there for seven long years. But yet, notice what it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by my righteousness and your iniquities by you of showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar, this doesn't have to happen to you. Daniel makes an appeal to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, believe the dream. This doesn't have to happen. Break off your sins. Get on your knees and repent. God wants good things, not bad things to happen to you. Open your heart to him, Nebuchadnezzar. God's word to Nebuchadnezzar is God's word to you tonight, my friend. Break off your sins. Repent. There can be a lengthening of the good times of your life. I don't mean to infer at all that if we have bad things happen to us, that it's because we have sinned. We live in a world where good and bad take place. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. But I will tell you this, if you make positive choices, positive things are going to happen more quickly. If you make negative choices, negative things are going to happen. The Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 9, whatsoever a man or a woman sows, they're going to reap. If you sow for evil, you're going to reap evil. If you sow wickedness, you're going to wick, reap wickedness. If you sow a lifestyle of alcohol and drinking and high-fat diet and all that stuff, you know, if you sow a life of, of selfishness and if you live for yourself, you're going to reap that in your life. And so what God is saying to us here is make positive choices. By the grace of God, make positive choices. So Daniel Verse, chapter 4, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar never made those choices. He never repented. And he, God could, wanted to give him grace. God wanted to give him mercy. God didn't want him 
wandering out there for seven years like a beast? Not at all. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. What does the text say? Don't miss this. It'll save you from a lot of errors. You know, some people say, okay, seven years, seven years of Nebuchadnezzar wandering around there. Wait a minute now. What if we follow that biblical principle of a day equals a year? It's 360 days in a uh, biblical year. Seven years, seven times 360, that's 2520. Maybe this is 2,500 years, and maybe we can figure out some time chart that tells us about the time of the end from this. Is this a prophecy that applies to the time of the end, or is it not a prophecy that applies to the time of the end that was fulfilled in Daniel's time? We don't have to worry about that because the Bible is clear. Daniel 4, verse 28 all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. All this. So this prophecy was specifically fulfilled on King Nebuchadnezzar. It is not a prophetic prophecy for the future. How do we know that? Well, the text itself tells us that it all was fulfilled. Secondly, this is not in the prophetic portion of the book, which comes later when the day-year principle applies one prophetic day equals one literal year, that does, that prophetic portion comes in Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 in time prophecies that are sequence prophecies. So all this is fulfilled upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, Daniel 4. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. So he's, he's good, he's, he's walking, he's boasting. Verse 30, the king spoke, is not this great Babylon that I have built? for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and the honor of my majesty. Arrogance, pride, he looks out over his kingdom. He sees Babylon with its walls that three that two chariots could race the top of. He recognizes that there's a 20-year food supply within the city. He senses that the river Euphrates runs through the city, gives them a water supply. The city is guarded by double gates. Babylon's the most mighty army in the world. And he says as he looks out over the Golden Dome Temple, some great temples in Babylon. He sees the lavish hanging gardens of Babylon. He thinks about his wealth, his fame, that everybody in the world, that's anybody, knows him. And he says, it's not this great Babylon I have built. And notice what happens. While the word, verse 31, was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it's spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. He loses everything in an instant. You know, everything can be going good in your life. In one instant, things can change. One instant. One visit to the doctor, and that lump can be malignant, can be stage four cancer. One icy road, car can go off it. One war. Just think of how things have changed for our friends in Ukraine. Think of how the Middle East has changed so dramatically, so quickly. Think of how one flood can take a home, homes away and one earthquake can destroy a city. You can be sleeping in your house and a tornado can come. I mean, you think about how quickly your life and things can change. That's why. Day by day, the only security is in Jesus. 
I love what it says in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear that the earth be removed and the mountains carried into the midst of the sea. I love what it says in Psalm, in Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I will comfort thee. I will uphold thee with my right hand and my righteousness. The only security is the security in these days of uncertainty that Jesus Christ gives to us. But notice, everything changes for Nebuchadnezzar in an instant. Verse 32, they'll drive you from man. Your dwelling will be like the beasts of the field. They'll make you eat, eat grass like oxen. That very hour, notice that very hour, this is not some prophecy about the future. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like oxen. Now, the scripture says that at the end of time, of that time, Nebuchadnezzar looks up. Now, do you remember in the dream, the dream speaks of that stump and the stump has something on it. What is it the stump has on it? A band of iron and brass. See, Nebuchadnezzar would wander around for seven years, but the stump would remain with his iron and brass band around it, indicating that the kingdom would be restored to Nebuchadnezzar. Why a band of iron and brass? I want to study that with you for a moment because there's a deep spiritual lesson here. First thing I want you to notice is that when Nebuchadnezzar's life fell apart, there was still hope. There was the stump. Wherever you are in your life, if the tree of your life has been chopped down, the stump still remains. The roots are still there. God can grow something out of your life still. But what about this band of iron and brass? What does iron represent in the Bible? Well, let's look at a couple of texts. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. What does iron represent in the Bible? Notice verse 8 and 9 of Psalm 2. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall drash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The rod of iron represents authority or power. You find this as well in Revelation chapter 19. When Christ returns to this earth, remember how the Bible puts it. When Jesus comes back, it talks about his coming as king of kings, his coming as, as lord of lords. And uh, here it, it speaks to, um, he noticed in, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, and he who sat upon him was called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. Verse 14, the armies of heaven clothed with fine linen, white and clean followed him. Verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword and with it, he should strike the nations. He should rule them with a what? Rod of iron. So what does iron represent in the Bible? It represents authority. It represents strength. You remember uh, in Daniel chapter two, you have the head of gold, the breast and arms of silver, the thighs of brass, the legs of what? Iron. 
Rome was the strongest of those empires. So iron represents strength. It represents power. Now, notice the, it had a rod, a band of iron and what else? Iron and what else? Brass or bronze. What does bronze represent? Come over here to Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. Numbers 21 and verse 9. Remember Israel's wandering in the wilderness. And what does the scripture say? In Numbers 21, verse 8 and 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. It shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, serpent and put it on a pole, so that it was as if a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked, the bronze serpent, he shall live. So here's people bitten with poison, and they can look at the serpent. <laughs> Why a serpent? Because Jesus took all of our, our sins upon him. The serpent has no power over us. It, it, but the, the, this bronze was a symbol of salvation. So in the Bible, you know, there were bronze laver, symbol of salvation in the sanctuary, bronze implements there, and, uh, and uh, bronze instruments there. So here you have iron, a symbol of power, bronze, a symbol of salvation. So the band of iron and brass represents that by the power of the living God, Nebuchadnezzar, and his kingdom would be saved. That stump would be there. Look, my friend, when you have failed and fallen, God puts his band of iron and bronze around you. He says, my child, you still can be saved. My power can lift you up. I can grow on the stump. I can grow a new tree. The band of iron and brass gives us hope that there is a living God who's greater than our difficulties and larger than our problems. There is a living God who saves us, whose salvation is ours. There is a living God whose power is ours. Back to Daniel chapter four. Scripture says, Daniel the fourth chapter, looking there, verse 34, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever and ever. If God could do it for Nebuchadnezzar, he can do it for you. If God could do it for a heathen king, he can do it for you. He can do it for your family. He can do it for your friends. He can do it for your relatives. Look, Nebuchadnezzar says, I lifted up my eyes to heaven. It kind of reminds me, you know, of, of Isaiah 45, 22, that says, look unto me. Isaiah 45, verse 22, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be saved. There's never a man, never a woman, never a boy, never a girl that's looked to Jesus and has not been saved. If they look to him and keep looking to him and receive his salvation by faith, he will save them. Nebuchadnezzar lifts up his eyes to heaven. So wherever you are tonight, lift up your eyes to heaven. Wherever you are tonight, lift up your eyes to the Holy One recognize what he can do in your life. He says, my understanding returned to me. See, when we drift away from Christ and we walk from him, we lose our understanding. The heart is deceitful above all things. The devil blinds our eyes. We don't understand clearly. But when we look to Jesus, not to ourselves, not to the people around us. Our understanding returns to us and we bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever and ever. 
His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom from generation to generations. Well, the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will. No one can restrain his hand. And then he comes to the end. At the same time, my reason returned to me. The glory of my kingdom and my honor and my splendor returned to me. I was restored to my kingdom. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol, and honor the king of heaven. All, the, all whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in his pride, he's able to abase. The words of Nebuchadnezzar come echoing and re-echoing down this corridors of time. You see, like Nebuchadnezzar, when God created Adam and Eve, they were to rule on a throne. When God created Adam and Eve, they wore that royal robe. They had that kingly crown. They were princes and princesses, kings and queens on the earth. But they sinned. They lost. They lost their kingship, their queenship. They lost their royal, royal robe. They wandered around. We could almost say like beasts. But then they looked to heaven. And Jesus Christ clothed them again with his righteousness, restored the throne to them. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's story is really your story. It's my story. All of us are created for eternity, but we have fallen. We've wandered around like those beasts. And as we have, Jesus says, look to me. Look to me and I'll restore you. Look to me and I'll save you. Look to me and I'll redeem you. Look to me. You know, I've traveled the world held meetings in countries all over the world. And I remember one time I was in Moscow holding meetings, made an appeal and uh, for people to come to Jesus. A young man came to Jesus. He was a thief of Moscow, scars on his face, in and out of court, I don't know, 20, 25 times, gave his life to Jesus. I visited Moscow a year from then, there had been about 3,000 people baptized, come to Christ. S many new churches were established there. And we just had a wonderful, wonderful time. During those years, 1991, 92, 93, I was preaching in Pohana University in Moscow and the Olympic Stadium in Moscow and in, in the Kremlin Auditorium was our second meeting, then the Olympic Stadium. Thousands came to Jesus. And, you know, I went back a year later to one of the new churches that we had established, that we had planted there. I was sitting with my host and the choir began to sing. It was just marvelous. I love that Russian music choir to see people with sparkles in their eyes and smiles on their faces that were communists and atheists, but they had come to Jesus. It was one young man that really attracted me. And I just looked at him and and, you know, it just attracted my attention. And I, I said to my host, well, who's that young man? He looks so happy, so peaceful, joyous. And they said, Pastor, don't you recognize him? I said, what do you mean, don't I recognize him? Don't you recognize him, Pastor? Don't you recognize him? What do you mean? He was the thief of Moscow. He was the one that came to Christ in your meetings. He was the one that you met with between two meetings and talked to him about Jesus. And he got on his knees before you and he confessed to Jesus, and he gave his life to Jesus. Look at him now, clean shaven. Look at him now. 
bright-eyed, not those glassy eyes of the drug addict, not that those deep sunken eyes, not that look of fear and anxiety on his face, but there's joy and happiness now. Pastor, the gospel changes lives, and it does. If it could change Nebuchadnezzar, it can change you, my friend. If it could change the thief of Moscow, it can change you. I've seen God do that all over the world, and he's still doing it tonight. If tonight you want to say, Jesus, all that I have and all that I am, I surrender to you. If you want to do that just now, I want you to bow your head as we pray. And if you're making a commitment to Christ for the first time, write to us. Email us at our email address, at that info email address. We'll put it up just now. Info at hopelives365.com. If you're coming to Christ for the first time, email us and we'll pray for you. If you've drifted away from Christ and you're coming back to Jesus, email us at info at hopelives365.com. Let us know. We'll pray for you. Maybe you drifted away, but we'll pray for you. If God can reach Nebuchadnezzar, he can reach you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, we thank you with all of our hearts that you still live. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that you're reaching out and saving people right now. There's somebody coming to Christ right now. Touch their life. There's somebody with a heavy burden. They're laying it down right now, Lord. Draw close to them. There's somebody that drifted away and they're coming back. Oh, Father, may they open their heart to you right now. Change them, I pray thee. Make them over again. And Lord, save them in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.